Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Wes Bush, author of Product-Led Growth and host of the Product-Led Summit. We chat about what product-led growth is and why you should care, why Wes started the Product-Led Summit, and how you can get started with product-led growth. We also discussed the importance of striking a balance between educating and motivating your users during user onboarding, why optimizing the first five minutes of a user's journey is a make-or-break moment, and he provided a methodology to do so. Wes also shared how to pick between a freemium and trial model in a product-led strategy, a framework for pricing and packaging a freemium offering, and what he would do starting out at a new company trying to tackle churn. I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Wes, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's great to have you. Like we just recently spoke, uh, you're busy organizing now the Product-Led Institute, um, and that's ongoing. I think that should be, by the time this episode airs, it'll probably be in mid-swing as well. Uh, I think it's really fascinating. I've been seeing it online everywhere. You've had some fantastic speakers lined up to talk about the concept of product-led growth, uh, which I would love to touch on today. Uh, you're also the author of Product-Led Growth Book, uh, which was recently launched, I think, in May 28th that was shipped, and we'll touch on that uh, today. And through your time as well, you've been a CXL Institute. You've been a Product-Led Growth Instructor there, as well as where you head up Demand Generation Specialist at Vidyard. Um, so interesting career up until now, Wes, uh, I think let's start with the topic of today's uh, interviews, product-led growth. What is it and why should people care? Yeah, so product-led growth, I'd actually argue, is nothing new. Whether you go to, let's say, a grocery store or even, let's say, Costco, and they offer you a free sample, it at its core, product-led growth is all about letting someone try before they buy. And now it's really just taking the B2B SaaS space by storm because people want the same experience. They demand the same experience whenever it comes to software. And I mean, who's to blame them? You look at your consumer apps and they're all self-serve and you get to try them before oftentimes you even have to buy. And so that's really, to me, like product growth at its core is just helping people try your product before they buy. 
Yeah, uh, definitely. I think that's as well. It's a huge growing uh, trend now. We talked about this previously with Patrick Campbell from uh, Profit Well. What led you into sort of like this direction? Like, when did you realize that this was the way that the uh, like software and the world was going? And what motivated you to write the book? Yeah. So, what really got me into product-led growth was. I was always in demand generation, digital marketing for B2B SaaS companies. And so when I initially started, I was working at uh, companies that were really sales led. And, you know, we did the whole traditional approach to marketing. You're probably pretty familiar with this. You write content, you put up a landing page, you put up a lead form, direct a bunch of traffic to it. And then you somehow qualify people based on their company size. You reach out. And most times they're like, huh? Who, who's your company? Why are you reaching out? <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. And that's kind of the, the typical conversation for a lot of these inside sales organizations. And I just thought that that whole process was a little outdated. And it wasn't until I launched a freemium product at Vidyard called Go Video, where we got over 100,000 users downloading it really quick, um, that you could really grow a product and a business by just letting people try your product instead of forcing them through this long drawn out content cycle where people are just inundated with content nowadays. I, I really truly feel like inbound marketing, yeah, it's, it's great and all, but people came for your content, but they're staying for your products. And so leading with your product is a really great way to shorten your sales cycle and yeah, power that forward. And so as soon as I realized that, I really just wanted to um, double down on it. I made so many mistakes <laughs> along the way of building product-led organizations that I really wanted to just help more people about uh, figuring out how to do this. And so my whole book, Product-Led Growth, is it's a playbook. It's a how-to book on how to build a product-led organization. And so I really wrote it for a few of my clients who are um, really struggling to transition from more of a sales-led organization to a product-led organization. And so uh, my hope is that it's going to be able to help hundreds of thousands of people who are operating B2B SaaS businesses to make the same switch. Absolutely. It's a self-selection process, like a self-qualification as well in itself. So you're allowing your customer really to qualify themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it, it, even if you do at the end have a sales team that's on board, your leads are a lot hotter coming in, having tried the product, having understanding what the value is. And uh, it just it sort of shortens that cycle down completely. So talking about like this then in the context of uh, churn, uh, and I think this is definitely something as well that you tend to typically see lower churn rates when you allow customers to try before they buy because you're not forcing people into a direction before they know and they understand the value. Um, Talking into the concept uh, of churn, like what are some of the things that you've noticed and the benefits when it comes to product-led growth uh, that really helps impact like that uh, the churn rate? Yeah, so the biggest part that can really impact your churn rate is that first five minutes where someone signs up for your product and they want to check it out. And so many companies totally botch this whole experience and is really um, the biggest lever that a lot of companies, if you do have a free trial premium model, if you optimize this section of the funnel, that first five minutes between sign up and trying your product, you can really dramatically improve 
your churn rate. And if you look at some stats, even by Intercom, according to them at least, 40 to 60% of your users, as soon as they sign up for your product, 40 to 60% of those same users will never come back. And so that's pretty scary. You think about your marketing budget, you're like, all right, let's just cut out half of it and throw it out because it's, it's not getting used. And so when you look at how to reduce your churn, that first five minutes is, is a make or break opportunity. And so it's really improve it. I, I find most SaaS companies try and treat that first five minutes as this whole onboarding one trick pony where you're trying to onboard the user uh, through your entire product. And that, depending on your B2B SaaS product, can be an extremely tall order. And this person, let's face it, including you, are busy. And you might have two, three minutes, maybe less, to even check out the product before you have to go to a meeting or do something else in your workday. And so if you really want to reduce your churn, what you have to do is just make there be a good reason to come back. So if we even look at Hotjar, for instance, your product, Hotjar, is pretty useless unless you do one thing, which I'm sure you probably know what that is, but that is uploading a script to your website. And if you can get someone to do that in that first visit, well, the next time they log in, it is amazing. You can actually see how people are using your product and then you can really expand like, okay, now set up a poll, set up a survey and really expand into that journey and really help them uh, adopt your whole product. So if you're really curious about how to reduce churn, focus on that first five minutes. And if you can just get people to do one thing that will help them really create a better uh, experience in your product the next time they come in. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, this is definitely a topic that came up as well previously when we were speaking to Sean Klaus from Atlassian. Uh, Atlassian very similarly uh, in the early days really tried to understand what was leading to retention. And uh, obviously at a point they got to a stage where they had a data team and they could run different analysis and uh, understanding. And what they ended up finding was the biggest indicator which led to retention was the amount of time that the person spent in their first session. It was the single biggest indicator if somebody was going to stick around in the long term was how long that first session was. Uh, it's interesting that you say as well, like 40 to 60% uh, is a stat that Intercom uh, is speaking about because obviously they have access to quite a lot of that data as well coming in. Um, so... Let's talk through the concept as well a little bit in detail. And we're talking as well like now sort of like an event-based uh, onboarding uh, sequence by the sounds of it. Uh, it's not just about like throwing everything uh, and seeing what sticks with your customers. You know, that's being a little bit deliberate. Like how do you typically advise uh, companies get started with these first five minutes and optimizing to ensure um, that they can retain customers? Yeah, so the first thing I really focus in on is creating a straight line onboarding experience. And so what this will look like is, let's say we sign up for Hotjar, we're going to go through the whole onboarding experience, every single step. We're taking a screenshot of every step and we're going through the whole experience. And as we're going through it, you're going to take the shortest path you can to accomplish a meaningful outcome, which in this case, let's just say it's heat maps, since we're all, all familiar with heat maps for the most part. And so you're going to take us through every single step. And then 
once we have <laughs> at this point, it might be like 20 to 50 screenshots, we're going to go through each and every one of those steps and really analyze, okay, which of these is maybe an advanced step. This is something that someone could actually do maybe a second time. Maybe it's setting up a poll. It's like you don't have a heat map down. You don't have the uh, JavaScript on your website. I mean, that's some more advanced stuff that you, you don't need just now. So like, let's, let's delay that. Let's not scrap it, delay it. And then there's going to be some steps um, that will really just get in the way. So a perfect example here is a company called snappa.com is basically requiring, or they did, before they found out how effective it was to remove this one step, but they required users, like many SaaS companies, to, once, once you sign up, to activate your email. And so that was one step where, for many companies, for security purposes, it's, it's still required. And so they required people at the very beginning to sign up and then go to their email and activate. And so that one step, I really challenged them to just delay it, not remove it completely, but delay it. So we said, all right, the second time someone logs in, they actually have to activate their email then, but not for the first time. And so what we saw was that that 27% of people who would normally just totally uh, <laughs> go out of that experience, they would never activate their email, they would completely leave Snap and never return ever again after they signed up. So those people actually started using the product fancy that. And they started upgrading just like everyone else would at the same conversion rate. And so there's always going to be steps like that in your onboarding flow where you really have to challenge like, is this getting someone closer to having that moment in your product where they say, wow, like this is, this is what I want. This is the value because getting someone from a free user to a paying customer isn't about writing the the most salesy email out there, even if it's beautiful, like hiring the most expensive copywriter in the world. Like, no, that is not going to work. Well, it will, but what will really work 10 times better is focusing on helping someone become successful. Because if you get to that point, it really does become a no-brainer for them to decide on their own terms. Like, hey, that was totally worth upgrading because I love this product. Yeah, so I think what you're saying as well with onboarding, it's it's really critical as well to take into consideration the user psychology going into it. So uh, a user initially has a problem, they come to your product, they're all excited about it, they want to get started, they want to see that value. And each barrier that you put in their place is like one sort of step and one sort of way of demotivating your user. Um, so like I like this thing that you mentioned as well, specifically with the email validation. Like that is typically a very disruptive experience having to leave the product and come back. And uh, it, it sort of like helps with the demotivating your, your customers and your users. And what you really want to be doing is like keeping them excited, keeping that motivation level up high. The one challenge I find though, I think with onboarding is you tend to have two sides. So you mentioned the one side where people try to throw everything at you. And then you have the opposite where people come in with this mindset of let's make it as simple as possible. Let's cut out what we can. But I think what ends up getting uh, lost there in the end is that like onboarding and when somebody signs up for your product is the time that you're going to get the most attention ever from your customer. Like, like you say, those first five minutes is the most critical. It's also because it's the most time and the most attention you're ever going to get from your user. Uh, it's when they're most excited about your product, when they want to get started. Like, How do you strike a balance between what to include and what not to include and uh, like when do you know that you've gone too far or um, you're at the right in the sweet spot? 
Yeah. And so that's a really great question. And it really comes down to how your product is structured because you really don't want to over index on the um, straight line, let's say, and just have like, here are just these steps you need to become successful um, without actually helping someone get uh, in touch with the product. Like, let's say if it's just one thing on one screen, you never see the product until you are actually um, done the straight line experience. Like that is actually pretty disorienting because it doesn't actually show people how to use your product at all. And so that is something where maybe the second time they log into the product, it's going to be hard because they're almost starting from square one already where whenever you're creating this experience, one thing is, at least at the beginning, I always recommend using like a more stronger version of helping people. So if you sign up for, um, let's say, an accounting app like Wave, you're going to be prompted with three things you can do in the product. Like, do you want to set up payroll? Do you want to set up your taxes? Do you want to see your finances? And so there's three very specific outcomes that I can accomplish. Now, I don't see the product at this point, but I get to select, okay, this is what I value the most. And what they've done is after that point, it's just this straight line experience in the product. And so I'm still accomplishing what I want in the product, but by really guiding me at the beginning, they can really prioritize, okay, this person's interested in payroll. So let's not take them through that, you know, really boring part of the product called taxes that we all love. And so (laughs) if you do that, it can make it a lot easier for you to kind of have that balanced approach, which, yeah, um, thanks for bringing that up because it wasn't too clear with the straight line on boring. Yeah. Uh, And I think as well, like the, what you're saying now as well is like really focusing on the use cases as opposed to the features themselves. So what people can achieve with your product is really key when it comes to sort of onboarding. It's it's not about like, uh, look at feature X or look at feature Y, or this is how you switch it on, how you switch it off. It's like really speaking to the user and the language in which they understand, asking them what are they trying to achieve? And then through that understanding, guide them through what they need to be setting up and what they need to be focused on. Absolutely. So you mentioned as well, like in the beginning, like it's really about uh, having an offering, whether it be freemium or trial. And I'm interested to hear your opinion in this sort of product-led growth uh, when it comes to like freemium versus a trial period and uh, what you typically advise and what you've seen like through the research you've done writing the book, what tends to be more effective for companies? Yeah, and this is one of those things where I really wish there was always going to be this perfect answer. I'm like, it would work great for you to everyone just have freemium, but it's not always that case. And so what I I really look for um, first, at least, is the time to value. Like if you have a very absolutely complicated product that you just sell the enterprise, you have these very long sales processes, you might just want to start with a trial because even if you offer a, a freemium option, it is going to take forever for people to really experience the value if it's it's freemium. And you really want to have more of a, a high-touch experience. And so uh, typically in, in that case, using a free trial will work better if you have a, a much longer time to value. But I've also really, after helping quite a few companies figure out, like, should you go freemium or free trial? I put together, it's only, I think, 12 questions. It's a free quiz, ungated. Um, but you can go to productlet.com slash quiz. And 
just go through the questions and really understand like, okay, depending on your market, depending on the audience you're serving, uh, what would work best for you? And it's just simple yes and no questions for the most part. But I find that that can be a really great leading indicator of which option you should have. All right. And so what are some of the, like these questions that you're asking, what are some of the direction that you're taking customers down in the thought process? Yeah. So it covers four main parts. The first part is just your market strategy. So are you trying to dominate your market where you're going to do a much better job than anyone else for your product and charge less? Now, most people will always say like, oh, I'm always trying to create the best product in the market. Like, yes, are you willing to actually give them the best price and make it absolutely accessible? If you are, you can totally dominate your market. If we look at a, a perfect example of a company like that, everyone knows Netflix. They're dominating that space and they offer a great product for a great price. And then if you want to have a differentiated product, well, I mean, back to that example of having a very complicated product, you can solve a very niche problem very well. But Oftentimes, that product is going to be a little bit more complicated than your typical um, market-dominating enterprise where you can try and serve all customers versus just one customer. And so if you have a differentiated approach, it's like, well, free trial will make more sense for you, whereas dominant is going to be more so, it could be both, free trial or freemium. You've seen both work pretty well. And then it also covers just the ocean condition. Like, are you really in a space that is absolutely new? Are you creating a new category? If that's the case, oftentimes it can work much better if you have more of a, a sales-led approach to growing your business. And a product-led approach might not be the best option right away. Whereas if you look at a red ocean where it's really competitive, like even Hotjar in whether it's just the user recordings or heat map space, like it's, it's really heating up. And so it's going to become a competitive advantage to really have the lowest customer acquisition cost possible. And if you have low touch, you can get to that point where you can really enter a market and even offer an amazing price. So your market really matters in that case, as well as who are you targeting? That is the third part. And so like, are you targeting the CEOs of the company or just the execs? Or are you going to be targeting someone who's actually going to be using the product? And there's always going to be a big disconnect. Let's say if you have a free trial, freemium offer, it doesn't matter. And you're giving it to an exec and it's a really complicated product. That exec probably isn't going to get too much value unless it's a really simple product to use. Whereas if you had been targeting the end user, they could have found the product, get to the value prop so much easier and actually made a pitch to that manager to buy it on their credit card. And so the way we buy products, at least within the enterprises, is much differently. But you have to understand, like, if you are going to be offering a free child free model, you definitely have to really be focusing on the bottom up approach to really growth. And then the last part is just time to value. So the quicker time to value you have, um, freemium will make a lot more sense. Whereas sometimes a free trial, if it does have a much longer time to value, yeah, you might want to have that more shorter sales cycle. Yeah. Uh, it's a very interesting topic as well. And that you mentioned now as well, in terms of like the bottom up approach, I think this is something we've, again, we've spoken about this quite a bit when it came to sort of the land and grab strategy and mm -hmm. 
typically enterprise sales uh, is a long-winded approach and selling into enterprise is, uh, could take months uh, to get deals. But some of the most successful companies that actually sell into enterprise are the ones that start with this land and grab. So if we think about Zoom or if you think about Slack or Atlassian, like these are tools that uh, people might just sign up and start using on their own individually or they would bring in like a group of three or four people. Uh, and because of this low-friction, self-serve, uh, freemium model, they're allowed to bring people in until it gets to the point where an organization is saying, wait a second, we have 20 accounts now uh, and different teams using us. It's time for us to get an enterprise plan and pull things together. So th there's definitely like a very interesting balance in trying to figure out what works and what doesn't for your business. Yeah, and like even on that note too, especially whenever it comes to time to value, there are cases where it completely doesn't make sense if, let's say, you have a really long time to value to have a pretrial, and it might make more sense to have a freemium model. And so in that particular case, I think a good example would be, let's say your product is creating an internal wiki for your business. And so although you might understand the value with the free trial, you can create your first wiki, it's no different than Google Doc. Like even if you make it really easy, it's like, it's not that wow moment where you really understand the value is when you actually start getting 5, 10, 15, 30 people using it, sharing it, and really experiencing the value of that internal wiki for the business. And so there's always going to be those fringe cases where it's like, well, like, yeah, it could work, but there's always sometimes going to be those other fringe cases that um, it can work. And it really has to be dependent on how people really adopt your product and just monitoring that. Like, how do they, your best customers adopt your product and kind of go from there? Yeah. And this concept as well is very interesting in the topic of churn. I think uh, the concept of stored value. Uh, and the more things that the more you input into a system, the more data you have into it, the more it grows in value over time. Uh, and like you said, like something with the wiki, which uh, in early days, potentially one or two articles are not going to be super valuable. Uh, but the more they invested into the product, the more they do it, the more store value there is and the higher the switching cost becomes. So uh, what might be like a detriment to begin with in terms of a long term value tends to be something that can turn out to be very, very sticky in the end. Uh, because people invested time and energy and they built something that becomes valuable internally. I wanted to ask about the product-led summit now. Um, what was the motivation to put that together when you were thinking about putting it together? Like, how did you go about picking speakers? And uh, was there any sort of structure that you wanted the summit to take? So taking uh, people on a journey throughout? Yeah, so the product-led summit was started really because there is such a gap in knowledge between how to grow a sales-led organization versus how to grow a product-led organization. Now, we can all point at the uh, the unicorns like Slack and Atlassian and be like, product-led growth works. There we are. Just be like them. But there's a really big gap between be like them and how do I make this work for my own business? And so whenever I really thought about that, I, I really just wanted to create a place where people could learn for free how to do a lot of the things you might not know about how to do for product-led growth. And so in terms of who I recruited as speakers, I really just wanted to have a lot of operators. So these are not necessarily the people who have the most speaking experience at all. No, I want to get the people who are actually doing the work 
and have the insights around how to grow a product-led business. And so since its inception in January 2019, it's really taken off. And it's, it's really cool just to see how many people are rallying behind product-led growth now and really just kind of figuring out the pieces of how do you truly grow a product-led business. And as I get more into it, it's <laughs> kind of like this wormhole where you're like, oh, now the next time I'd like product-led marketing, we could do product-led sales, product-led support, and really kind of take apart um, each of the big pieces of a product-led business and really just find some interesting experts on each of the topics. So yeah, I don't see this train stopping anytime soon. It's just growing faster. It's great to hear. Uh, and when you say that sort of like product-led marketing or product-led sales, like which would you say would be the most critical component to get started within a company? Where would you want to get started with like the shift and moving towards this product-led growth mindset and operating style? Yeah, so the, the big part is to start with the strategy. And that's really what the majority of the first two summits have really all been about. I mean, even if you look at this, uh, some of this coming on starting July 22nd, like 18 out of 52 talks are all focused on strategy. And so that's really where I'm putting the majority of the weight because there is a really big shift internally that you need to digest as a business and figure out like, oh, like your marketing team has to run a bit differently than a sales ed organization. Your sales team has to think a little bit differently. Like maybe they're not reaching out to people who downloaded your white paper and now they're starting to reach out to people who actually tried the product and, and got value out of it. So there's no convincing them of what the value prop is. It's just saying, <laughs> like, how can we help you more? How can we serve you, not sell you on the product? Because if you're using it, by this point, and you're continuing to use it, there's a reason why. And you understand the value. And so the organization has to really kind of shift for every single team to really be product-led. And so that really does have to start at the top. I've been in organizations where you try to make that transition from sales-led to product-led. But if people are just not on board at the top, it's going to be just this huge uphill battle to really get people going. Yeah, uh, definitely when it comes to these sorts of big fundamental shifts in a business and the way they operate, like if it's not coming from top down, it's not going to happen. Um, and I think like talking about product-led growth, it's definitely one of these the buzz terms that's floating around uh, lately. But uh, like you so rightly put it, is that uh, it's, it's not really about the term, it's just really good business. And at some point, this is going to be the norm. Uh, what I'm wondering is like, in today's day, do we still see companies that don't start with product-led growth getting started? So you've been talking about companies that are established and now trying to make the shift from uh, a sales-led to product-led. Are we still seeing a trend where companies are starting out with a sales-led mindset or have, have you seen sort of the shift in the landscape? Yeah, so it really just comes down to survival of the fittest in terms of businesses. There are what I would refer to as some really big tidal waves that are coming to wipe out SaaS companies. I mean, if you look at some of the data, especially even from ProfitWell, you see that over the last five years, customer acquisition costs have gone up over 55%. And if you look at willingness to pay, like people just don't have that same expectation for software anymore. They are not willing to pay a premium for 
uh, some software features. And so there is just this huge shift where if you put even those, those two tidal waves together, it's like people are willing to pay less and you're having to pay more to get those same customers, where's your margin going? And so if you use a sales-led business model, your customer acquisition costs are expensive. You're using people to close the deal and really qualify those prospects. That is expensive. And so if you're really wanting to survive as a SaaS business long-term, you will want to have a product-led component to your business. And now, even if you are sales-led right now, that doesn't mean you have to do this switch all overnight. Now, what many sales-led companies do is they start introducing a freemium product or free trial product uh, that is a smaller product that it does a really kind of simple um, part of their whole product ecosystem. And so by allowing them to kind of start off with one of those smaller products, even like HubSpot's famous example with Sidekick when it first came out, you can really start to build that internal team to gain some momentum and really try, like, how can we make this work for our business at a smaller scale before you start transitioning the bigger parts of the product over to that product-led model? Yeah, and really just starting to get a few quick wins internally to build up that motivation uh, for the company. So uh, I'm interested as well to hear like your thoughts then uh, and going into companies. So like in a hypothetical scenario, you've been invited into a company and uh, you see that they're still sort of a sales-led organization. Churn is really bad within the organization and they've asked you to come in and see what you can do to try and turn things around for them and help increase retention for the company. Like what would be some of the first things that you would look to want to do within the organization? So for that specific scenario, I would just be looking at the people who are signing up right away. And then I'd also look at the people who are staying around the very longest and the ones who are using the product the most. And so when I would be looking at the people who are staying around the longest, I would just start actually having conversations. I love doing primary research and just trying to figure out, okay, like what are the features you're using? What value, what is like the main outcome? Like actually show me, I know like this product does one thing, but show me where it fits into this. Is this a bigger marketing campaign, marketing objectives that you're trying to really build as a business and wear a piece of that? I want to know like the, the bigger context behind my product. And then just really looking through even just user recordings and seeing like, oh, like they're, they're using this feature like 10 times a week. Interesting. Okay, is someone else doing that? And you're just trying to piece together these patterns and say, oh, like these people who are staying around the longest are hopefully you can get to this point, like using this one feature. And I forget I was talking to David, your CEO of Hotjar. And so, yeah, it sounds like you have kind of done a similar process in terms of identifying like what are some of those key features that people can really, if they use them, uh, they, they keep coming back. And so once you know some of those features, you can really start leading with that in the whole onboarding experience and making sure that people can um, get to that outcome. And so the reason why I'd also focus on the people who just signed up is because you want to ask them, okay, like what is the the main outcome that you're trying to accomplish here? And like, does it line up with what we're seeing with our best fit customers? And Andrew from Director of Marketing at Wistia has an interesting way of kind of approaching this. Uh, Initially, like they didn't really 
they they knew obviously people sign up for Wistia for seeing videos and really they want to host them, but they want to get a little bit more granular. Like what is the exact outcome we're looking for to accomplish today using Wistia? And so in their onboarding flow, they just simply asked people, okay, this is this is what you want to accomplish. And then once you start hearing the same thing over and over again, then you can really start guiding people through that onboarding experience to that key outcome as soon as possible. And so um, that's kind of the, the two-pronged approach that I like to do is focusing on the best fit customers and then trying to craft that same experience for the new signups so that they can experience those features too. Yeah, and I like as well that you mentioned that uh, sort of like asking the users to begin with, but keeping it open-ended and not sort of trying to box them into what you think they're trying to achieve or what you think they're trying to do with the product. Because I think oftentimes, like, and especially when it comes to onboarding, uh, like we cut corners and we don't speak to customers and we don't allow them to give their voice as well. So we sort of uh, come up with what we assume are the main use cases or what we assume are the way that our customers are using the product. But so more often than not, when you actually do speak to your customers, they surprise you in really, really interesting ways. Definitely. So how much does customer research impact uh, product-led growth strategy? Yeah, so product research in a product-led organization has to be there. You have to invest a lot more in product research, actually, because it's not just product, like is on this little island in your company, they're whipping up these products and your sales team is selling them. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Like your product team is the core of, of so many other teams, like even your marketing team, like take this example. So marketing, your marketing team wants to generate more leads, just like many other companies but you're using a product-led model. So you're going to try and sit down with the product team and understand, okay, what are the products that we could give away for free? What are some of those things? Because your product and some of those features are actually driving your customer acquisition model. So there's this really interesting relationship now with product-led marketing where you really do have to consider the product into, okay, what can we give away for free? What do we have to um, ask people to pay for it before they can use? What can we let them try out first? And so you have to have that discussion with your users as well as internally to see, is this a, a good fit to offer for free? If it's something that requires a lot of handholding and <laughs> onboarding, yeah, definitely don't use that as your part of your customer acquisition model to get free users in. Use something that's a little lighter touch and go from there. And so I, I think Product research is just fascinating whenever you look at a product-led business because it does have to encompass the marketing side. It does have to look at the sales side and really linking like what are those behaviors maybe in the first five minutes that actually shows us that this is an organization that is serious about using this product. So it's worth it for our sales team to reach out. And that way, you're being so much more strategic about who you're going after. Yeah, and I think what you said now as well is... Uh, is also a very challenging topic and it's something I think that a lot of uh, new startups struggle with is trying to decide and understand what to put into a package and what to give away for free and uh, what's included in a trial um, because more often than not as well like this is guesswork and do you have any sort of framework that you work with companies to try and help them understand what needs to go in and what's too far and what's not far enough? Yeah. And so this is always 
kind of a, a balancing act where you're going to be looking at your current options, let's say on the pricing page and just seeing like, okay, what uh, can you give away for free? And there's a bunch of different research out there that really goes into like, oh, like here's how Simon Kutcher, a nice pricing firm does this. Here's how OpenView does this. But what you're going to find throughout all these um, different areas of research is that they all really rely on value metrics. And so if you're not sure like what a value metric is, it's just the the method for, for how you charge. And so an example would be like, I charge per pair of shoes. So that is my value metric is pair of shoes. If I am Wistia, it's per video. If I'm Slack, it's per user. Those are your value metrics. And so as you're really deciding how you structure your pricing and your customer acquisition model, value metrics are your best friends. And it really is helpful just to look through, uh, if you do kind of identify a few value metrics, look through your best customers, the ones who stick around the longest and really identify like, okay, what are, how many times are they using that same value metric? For instance, like how many users do they have? Um, how many videos do they upload? And you're just trying to find a medium of like, okay, this is a well, um, healthy customer. Like this is how many of them they're using. And maybe if we gave, let's say if it's videos, gave three away or one or two away, then people could at least experience the value of the product. And hopefully by that point, they would understand by uploading three videos that that is the point where it totally makes sense to invest a hundred bucks into having as many videos as possible as well as all these other features. So I really would challenge anyone if you're struggling with understanding like what should I include in my pricing, really just focus on your value metrics and try and hone in on what those would be. Yeah. And as well, like you said, it is a difficult balance to try and figure out. It's like you want to ensure that you're giving enough value for them to realize the value uh, in the tool, but then also not too much that it comes to the point where your free version is is too powerful and then nobody ends up ever upgrading in the end. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because obviously at the end of the day, like product-led growth and uh, having this mindset of allowing people to try before they buy is really important and you want to make sure that you're delivering the value so people can see it and purchase it. But sometimes if you push it too far, then you don't have a business. You just have a free product. So definitely. Um, it's, it's been great chatting today as well. Where's like, I want to do just ask you one last question and uh, we'll leave it uh, for today. It's like, what's one piece of advice like in the product led strategy that you would say is absolutely critical for a business wanting to move in this direction to start thinking about. So you touched on strategy a little bit earlier being really, really important. Like, is there some specific part of strategy or is anything that you'd recommend? Okay. This is what you absolutely need to do if you want to start moving your organization from a sales led to a product led company. Yeah. And so one of the things that's really interesting in this space is just so many people are focused on the outcome they want as a business, which is in many cases, if you have a free trial premium model, it's going to be, I want more free users turning into paying customers. I want that conversion rate to go as high as possible. And so they're, they're thinking about everything from their perspective, which if you actually want to move the needle significantly on that one metric from free to paid, you have to focus on your customer and really just help them become successful in your product. And so even if you have 
like the the worst email series ever that goes out during your onboarding experience, even if you don't really guide people too much, but you just help people really uh, understand and use your product and they experience that core outcome that they signed up for, then you are miles and miles ahead of so many other companies and you will get that free to pay conversion rate to go up. So um, don't believe a lot of those saley crap out there, but just focus on helping people. Focus, yeah. And I lied when I said it was the last question. I have one more. Uh, <laughs> what's one question when it comes to product-led growth that you wish people, more people asked you that they don't? Huh. I guess the the thing that I wish more people would ask themselves and maybe myself is just figuring out how you could get uh, more people on board your team for product-led growth. Because I feel like a lot of people think it's like growth hacking, but with your product. And it's it's not like that. You actually need your marketing team to um, have this product-led approach to marketing. You need your sales team to really think about, oh, like now that we have people in the product, how do we qualify them? We don't have to do all of the qualification nowadays. And from a support perspective, like how do we uh, reduce some of these annoying recurring tickets where it's it's a buck in the product? And let, let's fix that experience and work with the product team to do that. So everyone has to speak the product-led language. So the more people you get on board, the easier it's going to be. So I hope I really hope more people will just start asking their teams to get on board because it can make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and specifically when it comes to churn and retention, like uh, product-led strategy is definitely the way forward, allowing customers to understand the value before buying has a really big impact in terms of them uh, churning in the end because what, like you say, is if you're forcing people to purchase a product before they've actually experienced the value, uh, the likelihood of them like not receiving that value or having a misalignment in what you sell them on your marketing and what your product actually delivers, uh, it really has a detriment to it. So, uh, Wes, it was great having you today. Thank you very much for joining the show. And like, I wish you best of luck now as well with the summit. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a massive success. And um, best of luck going forward. All right. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.